Everyone, uh, good morning. I am not Jeff Ritchie. If this is your very first Sunday at White Rock Fellowship, you'll probably have looked at his picture on the website and realized he is not me, and that is okay. Um, my name is Randy, and I am the pastor at Lakewood Fellowship, which is a church that White Rock helped support and get off the ground several years ago. It'll be five years uh, this September. So uh, for everyone who has helped support us and has prayed for us and continues to support us through prayer, thank you. Uh, I'm so grateful for that. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm glad to be here. It's an honor to be here this morning uh, with you. Um, let's just take some time to pray and refocus our hearts and mind. Will you pray with me, please? God, we are grateful for this morning. Your kindness to us is unmatched. There is not a person on the face of this earth who is more kind to us than you. So, God, I pray that as we continue to worship through the preaching of your word, that you will turn our hearts and our mind our minds towards, towards the face of your son, Jesus Christ, and to the extent that we have uh, find a place, an area in our hearts or in our thoughts or in our beliefs that do not align with yours, that we would uh, pay attention to that and that you would give us the grace to bring correction to that place that we might walk in a new way of life. But God, we uh, are just so grateful that your kindness to us leads to this repentance. God, may we find our rest in you and whatever distractions might exist outside of these walls, God, I pray that you would help us to push those aside. Holy Spirit, come in power and demonstrate to us the way of the Son, Jesus Christ. The truth of the Son, Jesus Christ. So that we may live our lives in accordance with him. We pray all these things in his name, in the name of Jesus, and by the power of your spirit. Amen. When is the last time someone really close to you simply walked away from their faith in Jesus Christ? If you're sitting in this room and you're not a Christian, or maybe you're a little bit new to Christianity, this might not seem like that big of a deal because people often re-examine their beliefs. They re-examine their preconceived notions and they may course correct here or there and their faith develops over time. But if you've been a believer for an extended period of time and you realize how important uh, the faith is, the unity of the faith and the togetherness that is a family, that is a church that we've already sung about this morning, when someone walks away from their faith, uh, it's somewhat turbulent. It creates a, 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 almost a, a crisis in your own life as you wonder what's going on with this individual. There's a, no small amount, perhaps, of sadness, of anger, and, and fear for that individual's well-being, spiritual and otherwise. When I was a student pastor in Houston almost 20 years ago, there was a kid who was very active in, in our ministry, and he, uh, he was great. He's, he's very, very gifted. Uh, he became a leader in our student ministry. He helped us uh, in, uh, in our communications, and he helped us create videos that would communicate things about our events, things about our programs, and uh, he was so fun. He was hilarious. People gravitated towards him, and when he turned 16, he, he was so involved in our student 
ministry, we said, we need to call this what this is. You're, you're doing a lot of work with and for us. Can we start paying you as a way to say thank you? And he said, absolutely. And so he kind of joined the staff with our student ministry. And, uh, and he worked very closely with our creative team. And I worked closely with him. And, and month after month, uh, for, for quite a long time, we would work on videos and, and how do we communicate this and that and the other. And he became a, a leader in our student ministry, working with our junior high kiddos. Uh, and, and, and just, again, someone that people gravitated towards. And then one day he quit. Out of the blue. And when I say he quit, I mean he quit, quit, quit. Not the job. Didn't come around to church anymore. And as far as I could tell, he, he left the faith completely. And, and to this day, I don't completely understand what happened. That's the first time someone I was pretty close to walked away from Jesus. And I wish I could say it was the last. According to a study by Barna, in the year 2010, 47% of Americans identified themselves as practicing Christians. These are people who not only claimed to believe in Jesus, but their faith was engaged in activities that would demonstrate that reality to the outside world. In 2020, right before the pandemic hit, the number of people identifying themselves as practicing Christians had dropped to 25%. From 47% to 25% in the period of one decade. That number represents tens of millions of people. Where did they go? The same study decided to figure out. So they asked, what happened? You used to be a practicing Christian, and now you're not anymore. What happened? And what they found is about half of them still claimed Christianity, but they just didn't do anything in their life that sought to engage their faith. In other words, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a practicing Christian. The other half of those tens of millions said, I'm not a Christian anymore. I'll affiliate with that category called nuns, the nuns. What, what religion are you? None, none, no religion, none. This other half walked away from Christianity altogether. These are people that we see in our neighborhoods. We work side by side with them, go to school with them. But they're also our friends, maybe our family. Maybe it's a part of your story and you're back in church this morning because you wanted to give it another shot. Welcome. For all I know, there's someone in this room who is giving God one last chance. Right now, you've put everything on the line and you've gone all in and you've said, God, if you're, if you're, if you're real, I need to know this today because I'm in a crisis place. I, I need to know that this is real or I'm out. The question for all of us is simply this. How is your faith? Is it growing weaker? Is it growing stronger? Is your faith robust? Or are you in the place of crisis right now? I'm going to assume that if you're in this room right now, or if someone's listening online, that you have a desire for your faith to grow stronger. You have a desire for your, straight, for your faith to to be strengthened the next day, the next week, month, year. So the question is, what can we do, if anything, to strengthen our faith? I think there are some things that we can do to strengthen our faith. And I want to get to those. But before we do that, 
I want to talk about what faith is, and we can find guidance to these questions by going to the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Megan's already read these verses, but we're going to go over them again, and it's helpful sometimes to have them in front of your face. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. We'll put the verses on the screen for you. Over the course of the summer, White Rock Fellowship will travel through Hebrews chapter 11. We're beginning a new series today on on Hebrews 11, and in this uh, chapter does a beautiful job of bridging the Old Testament and the New Testament because this is a chapter that focuses on heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. And this chapter reminds us that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are are one and the same. But today we're going to just speak about the subject of Christian faith generally. We're not going to focus on any one of these individuals just yet. So I'm going to end with how I think we can strengthen our faith. But before we get there, I'd like to make sure that we're all on the same page of, about what faith is. And as we, as we travel through this passage, we'll see that Christian faith is personal, Christian faith is powerful, and Christian faith is precious. Christian faith is personal, powerful, and precious. So let's begin. This is chapter 10, verses 35 through 39. The writer of Hebrews gives us this. It says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised yet a little while. And the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The end of the book of Hebrews is all about faithfulness and endurance. More specifically, it's all about building faith so that one might have endurance and be able to persevere. We see these recurring themes over and over again in chapters 10, 11, 12, into 13. These themes of of faith, uh, of of hope, of steadfastness, of of perseverance, of endurance, and, and reward for those who remain faithful to God. And in this passage that I just read in chapter 10, we see all of those themes. But if you're not careful, you miss over the most, you skip over the most important part in these verses. It's in verse 37. Why do we skip over it? Because this passage almost reads like a halftime speech in the locker room of a football game. The person running here is like, don't throw away your confidence. Yeah, yeah, coach, no, no, throw away your confidence. The righteous ones live by faith. If you shrink back, I have no pleasure in you. Yeah, I'm not shrinking back. We're going to go out. We're going to take this. We're not the ones who shrink back. We're not the ones who are destroyed. We're going to preserve our souls. Now go out there and get them. (laughs) Did you see here in verse 37? It's Jesus. He shows up. It says, get a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. Well, hello there. It's, it's Jesus. Now, this might be obvious, but we cannot pass it up. Because when Hebrews 11 talks about faith, it's not talking about faith in just anything. It's talking about a faith in God. The end of Hebrews 10 Jim demonstrates the object of Christian faith. The object of Christian faith is the person of Jesus Christ and his promise to restore all things at the end of time, to restore all of the children of God, to restore all of the heavens, to restore the earth. Jesus is the perfectly strong object of our faith. Paul says in Romans 
that those who have been made righteous in Jesus live by faith. Faith is not merely an adjective that describes us. It's not simply a virtue we seek to cultivate. It is that. But faith is, is who we are. We're, we're a people of faith because we're a people of Jesus Christ. At the beginning of John's gospel, he writes, To everyone who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's amazing. That when you place your faith, when you trust in Jesus Christ, you gain the right. This is the United States. We're all about our rights. You gain the right to be called a son or a daughter of God. To receive Jesus, to believe him, to trust him, is to be taken into, adopted into God's family. To have faith is to have family. To have faith is to have a perfect father who knows you perfectly and loves you dearly. To have faith is to have brothers and sisters who can lift you up, to hold you up, to support you, and to encourage you, especially when times get difficult. To have faith is to know and to be known, to see and to be seen. You see, Christianity isn't just a set of beliefs. Christian faith is personal. Faith is trust. Trust. And as Christians, we completely trust that Jesus is who he says he is. We completely trust that Jesus will do what he says he will do. And that Jesus will keep his promise to restore the children of God, the heavens, and the earth, once and for all at the end of time. It's amazing as Christians, we place all of our faith on this person that we have never seen face to face. And the world out there looks at us and says, you're crazy. You've put your faith in something you can't see. We say, "Uh uh-huh. And the writer of Hebrews knows that that objection will come up and he writes about it. Let's go on verses one through three in chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This first verse of Hebrews 11 is pretty well known. People will often use this verse to define faith, but I believe it's less a definition of faith and more a description of what Christian faith is like. I think if we wanted to really define Christian faith, we would say that it's a trust in Jesus for forgiveness, for eternal life, life to the full here in the present as well. Here in Hebrews, he's giving us the shades, the shape, the character of faith. How does he characterize faith? In Hebrews 11, verse 1, he says two things about faith. He says, first of all, it's the assurance of things hoped for. Your translation might say the reality of things hoped for. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 is suggesting that our faith is a rock-solid reality on the promise of hope. Faith is naturally forward-looking. We look forward to Jesus' return. Again, our faith rests on Jesus and his promise to restore everything, and the faithful live accordingly. So, faith is forward-looking. Secondly, it says that the faith is the conviction of things that, that are unseen. And when the writer talks about things that are unseen, he's not talking just about, like, about the spiritual realm. Oh, we can't see Jesus. We can't see the angels. But we... No, he's talking about events that have already taken place that we cannot see with our eyes, but we know that they happened. 
So the example that he gives here in verse 3 is the example of creation. By faith, we know that God created the heavens and the world, even though nobody in this room was here when those things were created. Were you here when God created the heavens and the earth? No, you were not. But we believe it happened. Why? Because we're here and like we can feel things and it's like everything, it's real. It's all real. And this didn't come about, about by some set of a billion accidents. There's a creator. There's a designer. It's real. We can't see that creation happened because we weren't there, but we know that it's real, even though we weren't present at the event. It's something we haven't seen. This is the way trust works in day to day. Everybody in this world is trusting. So let's say, let's say there's a friend that you have and you have trust in this friend that if something goes bad in your life, that you can call this friend and that person will be there for you. What you're saying is down the road, if something happens and I need this individual, I can call them and they will be there. Faith is forward looking. You have a hope in that individual that they will come to your rescue in a moment of need. How do you have that hope? It's based on the evidence of all of the things that they've been to you in your past, all the times they've shown up for you in times past that you say, I can rely on that individual. How do you know? Because they've been there and they've done that before. They have been there for me in my most difficult times. And if I need them, I can call on them again. Faith is both forward looking based on evidence and facts from the past. And the same is true of our faith in Jesus Christ. We look forward to Jesus' return based on the evidence of things not seen. My wife isn't here today, so you'll have to trust me when I tell you that I'm married. I really am married. Now, I know I have a wedding ring on. I didn't pick this up at the Walmart on the way in. I already had this before today. You have to trust me that I'm married. I'm not making it up. So would you have any evidence that you're married? Well, okay. Uh, so you can't see that my marriage is real. So what can I, how can I prove this to you? Okay, first of all, on October 20th, 2006, we had an event. There was this big event, and we walked down this aisle at this church, and we made promises to each other, and someone sang there. Like, so we have this marriage ceremony. I'm like, well, I can't see that either. Do you have any other evidence? Okay, okay. Um, Yes, we have documentation. We have, I promise it happened because there's a, there's a certificate and it's signed by people. So our marriage is totally legal because they put their names down and they said, we saw it happen. There were, there were people there and I could get them to write witness statements that they were there. Oh, we have pictures. There's a photographer there. That we have pictures and there's a video of the ceremony. So there is this event and there's witnesses who can attest to it because they were there. So that's something that, that can be seen. Any other evidence? Well, yeah, I have this lived experience with this person who I call my wife. She calls me her husband. We live in the same place. And whenever we go around, we tell people that we're married. And more than that, though, I love her deeply. She loves me. We finish each other's sandwiches. Like, we know each other really, really well. 
So I have evidence of this marriage. Even though you can't really see a marriage, you can see the demonstration that the marriage is, is real based on an event, based on documentation, based on lived experience. And the Christian life is the same. There was an event, the resurrection. It happened. You weren't there, so you can't see it, but their evidence is, 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 un, is indisputable. There were witnesses there. They saw it. They wrote it down. They staked their lives and their livelihoods on this truth. And we have that documentation now in the form of the scriptures. More than that, when someone places their faith in Jesus Christ and they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, objective realities change. They are transformed. They are not the same today that they used to be. There are a lot of evidences that we have that Jesus is real, that his resurrection is real, and that he will return for his people. The reality of what is hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, references events that have taken place in the past, which we can no longer see, but future events as well, which we also have not yet seen. Faith is not a blind leap of irrationality. It's a trust built on facts and evidence that demonstrate themselves as truer the more than one's life in the spirit matures. And as we grow in our sanctification, we cultivate an understanding that Christian faith is powerful. Christian faith is powerful. Our faith allows us to mature in the spirit and maturing in the spirit provides evidence to grow our faith. In the weeks ahead, as we travel through Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to see this demonstrated time and time again, that this rock solid reality of faith will carry these men and women through very challenging circumstances. And in, in a sense, verses one and two in chapter 11 are like the thesis and everything that falls after that is the evidence that this thesis is real. And we're going to see these people walk through challenging times and take steps of faith. And we recognize over the course of chapter 11 that Christian faith is powerful. You see, Christian faith isn't just knowledge about God or even agreement that that doctrine is true. It's a trust in him. James points this out. This is one of the verses that scared me when I was a kid. In James chapter 2, he writes, You believe that God is one, well, you do well. Demons believe that too. Ooh, I don't want to be in that. I don't want to be in the demon category. Like, how do I get out of that? I want to be in this group of not demons. Um, And what he's intimating is that it's not just an acknowledgement of a proper theology that God is real. The demons have that theology down. The question is, is whether or not you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ in a way in which your life is oriented around the truth that he is good and that he is coming back for his people. Trusting that Jesus' resurrection is real means that you will find life and life to the full. Trusting in Jesus means that your object of faith is moved off of yourself, off of your career, off of money, off of a relationship and onto the person of Jesus, casting your cares upon him, his promises and his way of life. You see, all the people we're going to look at in this series don't just believe that God existed. They oriented their lives around that truth. And one of the biggest concerns of the Christian church today is that there are plenty of people who say they're Christian because they agree with the statements about who God is. But when you look at their life, it looks no different than everybody else walking around the city of Dallas. They've not done anything to orient their lives around the truth of who Jesus is and the fact that he is coming back for his sons and daughters. And that is a rock solid reality. Just one more point I'd like to address before we finish talking about strengthening our faith. Let's read Hebrews eleven six. 
Christian faith, this personal Christian faith is powerful. Verse 6 reads this, And without faith it's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Hebrews is showing us that apart from faith, it's, it's impossible to please God. Why? Well, you have to believe that he exists. You can't please a being that you don't believe exists. That would be very, very weird. It's difficult to trust in a God you don't really know anything about. If you want to draw near to God, and again, I'm assuming that everyone in this room is interested in doing so, the writer of Hebrews says you have to do two things. First of all, you have to believe that he exists. It's good. And number two, and this is a verse, I feel like, I love this verse. If you're looking for a verse to tattoo on your forehead, so every time you wake up in the morning, you can see it in the mirror, so you would have to tattoo it backwards, this might be the verse that you would choose. He rewards those who seek him. Yeah, okay, there's this ultimate reward we read about at the end of Hebrews chapter 12, that everyone in Christ will receive an unshakable kingdom, which is a pretty sweet reward, if we want to be honest. That's a really nice gig. Um, But what this verse is also showing us is that there is a reward in the day-to-day seeking of God. There is a reward in the day-to-day seeking of, of Jesus Christ that he renews your hope daily, that he restores and strengthens your hope over time. What this verse shows us is that Christian faith is precious because there are rewards involved. And it's not like an Oprah reward where you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, and everybody starts freaking out. This is like a reward that lasts longer than like six or seven years, right? It's a hope that is e- eternal, and that's, that's not a reward that we should scoff at because Christian hope is the antidote to, to cynicism. It's the cure for apathy. So what do we do when we have doubts? Many people believe that the opposite of faith is doubt, but that's not true. It's very natural to second-guess things from time to time. One of the great thinkers, writers of the faith is C.S. Lewis. He wrote about this in his book, Mere Christianity. Let me read to you what he wrote about having doubts. Hopefully this is encouraging to you, especially if you're in a place of doubt right now. He says, now faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods, for your moods will change. Whatever view your reason takes. I know that by experience. He says that, now that I am a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. This rebellion of your moods against your real self is going to come anyway. That is why faith is such a necessary virtue. Unless you teach your moods where they get off, you can never be either a sound Christian or even a sound atheist. But just a creature dithering to and fro with its beliefs really dependent on the weather and the state of its digestion. Consequently, one must train the habit of faith. What we call a season of doubt 80 years ago, C.S. Lewis called a mood. And some of us this morning are in a mood. But if you find yourself in a place of doubt, what I hope this encourages you to do is to run to Jesus and to run to his people. That sometimes when we have doubts about our faith, we start in this shame cycle where we feel like, I don't know 
how real this is. And, and so I'm just going to go over here. I'm going to take a time out spiritually for a long. Don't do that. Even in the moments where your faith is sagging, you run to Jesus. It reminds me of that story in the Gospels when this desperate father who has a sick kid shows up to Jesus and he's like, will you please heal him? And Jesus says, you need to believe. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. Will you just meet me in the middle, God? God meets us in our doubt, but he doesn't want us to stay there long. He wants to give us certainty and he rewards those who seek him. So how do we do, how do we strengthen our faith? Three things and really quick we'll be done. First of all, if you want to strengthen your faith this morning, recall the promises of God. Recall the promises of God. Remember, it's very difficult to trust in a God you know little about. So you should seek to learn as much as you can about Jesus and his promises. Seek to learn as, as much as you can about the Father, about the Holy Spirit. This is why daily prayer, daily reading of scripture are so important. They help us recall the promises of God. It's not about checking a box and being a, a good Christian. You can throw that away. No, the motivation for reading scripture and for praying every day is that it helps renew an understanding of who God is, what his promises are, and you can build your hope off of that. The first step in strengthening your faith is to recall the promises of God. Number two, recognize the promises of God and others. Strengthening one's faith is a team sport. Being in a community of other Jesus followers is pivotal to strengthening your faith. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a season where I'm struggling, where I'm questioning the goodness of God. I don't know if God is hearing me. I don't know if God is seeing me. And I reach out to either my wife, who is real, by the way, or I'm reaching out to a group of friends and they say something to me that is true about who I am, how God sees me, and my entire perspective has changed. And now I'm focused again on Jesus Christ and it lifts me up. If God encourages you and lays a word on your heart for a friend, for a brother or sister to tell them something true about themselves, you better act on that. Because it could mean life or death for somebody in this room. And you go up to him, you say, I don't know why, but I feel like God is telling me to tell you that he loves you and he sees you. And that's all they needed to hear. And whoever was up here talking didn't have that word for them, but you did. Be obedient to those things. To strengthen our faith, we recall the promises of God. We recognize the promises of God and others. And lastly, we rely on the promises of God. You see, it's not enough to recall those promises. It's not enough to recognize those promises in others. You have to take steps of faith. You have to reorient your life around who God is and what his promises are. Remember, faith is not some irrational blind leap. It's trust built on facts and evidence that demonstrate themselves as truer the more one's life is lived in the spirit. Faith is as much a journey as anything else, and you will have to take steps of faith. James tells us that faith without works is dead, but, but faith, even the smallest faith, the tiniest seed of faith is exceptionally powerful. You only need that little bit. There's so many who have fallen away from the faith. We all have friends or loved ones. You may know someone who has done so, or maybe you know someone who's seriously reconsidering whether or not living for Jesus is worth it. 
The writer of Hebrews is exhorting us to keep the faith, to persevere, to lay claim of the reward waiting for everyone in Christ Jesus. And I get it. Strengthening your faith can be difficult. And if you're struggling to find strength today, let me encourage you with one of the most beautiful aspects of Christianity. And I I realize what I'm about to say might be ripping the rug out from everything I've said in the last 25 minutes. I'm sorry about this. Encouraging you to strengthen your faith is one thing, but actually getting up in the morning and doing the things I just talked about can be difficult. In his book, The Reason for God, the late Tim Keller writes this. I love this quote. It's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. What branch are you holding on to? Have you been holding on to yourself? The dream of a perfect family? The dream of a perfect career? Have you been holding on to your 401k? Have you been holding on to who wins the next election a year and a half from now as if there's not a sovereign God? What are you holding on to? Because if it's not Jesus Christ, you're holding on to a weak branch and the results will be fatal. But if you're holding on to Jesus, if you're in Jesus Christ, even if you're barely holding on, you need to know that the author of your faith, the founder of your faith, is busy perfecting your faith. And that is good news. If you've never held on to Jesus, you can do so today. And as we pray this morning, we'd love to talk with you about it. And if you think you may have let go of Jesus, then you... You can know that today you can turn around, you you can look full in his wonderful face and know that he is there ready to take your trust and give you himself. And if you sense that God has given you a word of encouragement for a brother or sister, maybe take this opportunity to let them know how God is leading you. Christian faith is personal, it's powerful, and it's precious. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for the kindness that you've shown to us by giving us your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray for all those perhaps struggling in their faith right now, that you would help them to see the love that you have for them, the kindness that you've shown to them that would lead them to repentance. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room who are in a place of doubt, that they would not run from you, but run to you, and that they would bring their doubts to people who have followed wholeheartedly after you. And God, for those strong in their faith, I pray that they would not go proud, but they would instead in humility bow towards you and thank you for your grace in their lives. God, we love you and we thank you for all these things. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray.